Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Last week, we talked about uh, how one of the central messages of Christmas was one which maybe we don't often think about, uh, that Jesus has come to make a way for us to be set free from the fear of man and to be positioned to be able to fear the Lord. But this week, we are going to look at another passage of Scripture that is central to the Christmas story. Uh, It's a story that's set in this very significant and prophetic moment for Mary and Joseph. This was just after Jesus was born. And, you know, as a parent, there would be few things more uh, encouraging than getting a prophetic word for one of your children, right? I can remember prophetic words that, that our kids have had that have really, you know, it's, it's even better than getting a prophetic word for yourself, you know, and you just see the presence of God come on them and, and God speaking clearly to, to them. And so Mary and Joseph have a moment like that when Jesus was just maybe a week and a half old. And so we'll look at uh, Luke chapter 2. After Jesus was, I'll set it up for you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the, um, his parents, Mary and Joseph, they begin walking back to Nazareth from Bethlehem, which was a bit of a pain because it took about a week uh, to, to walk. And you think about what a pain it would have been for them to have to go back to Bethlehem at the most inopportune time. I mean, what are they, they got to be thinking, okay, wait a minute, we got to go back to Bethlehem and Mary, you're about to give birth. Like what, you know, thinking about all the things that could potentially happen, but they get there just in the nick of time, they find a barn and Jesus is born in the most lowly of ways. And then after eight days, he is circumcised and they name him Jesus And then on their way back to Nazareth, they stop off in Jerusalem to go through the purification uh, offering, which was required of a uh, mother whose firstborn child was a boy. And so we'll pick up there in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised I have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. I want to talk today about the the implications of 
Christ's lordship, the implications of Christ's lordship. And we'll put that slide up any minute now. There we go. Thank you. The implications of Christ's lordship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here today. We thank you that you've already been speaking. You've already been revealing yourself to us. Father, I thank you that, Lord, when I am weak, you are strong. God, I pray that you would show up in this moment with your divine strength, that you would reveal yourself, that you would speak. Lord, cause your word to come alive to us. God, we thank you that it's like fire. It's like a, a hammer that shatters the rock. Lord, we even now just soften our hearts before you and say, Lord, whatever you want to say, we're ready to hear it. Speak to us. Encourage us. Lord, convict our hearts if necessary. Lord, we just want to be, we want to live a life that pleases you. So help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Soon after um, I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, as I've told you before, I was in my third year at the University of Memphis, and um, I was a waiter at the time, and actually I was a bartender, and then all my friends started coming up to the bar, uh, and you know I'm sitting here serving them drinks, and they're having way too much to drink, and I'm I'm feeling this like conflict of interest here. <laughs> okay, I'm following Jesus now, but I'm tending the bar. And we're not just like having one and, and a little bit of fellowship, right? But I mean, they're like, they're going hard. And I'm thinking my conscience just, something's not right here. Something's not good. So I, uh, I left this restaurant where I was bartending and went to work at another restaurant, which was this Italian restaurant. And uh, I was waiting tables and it was about, it was December, it was Christmas time. I'd probably been a Christian for a little over a month and uh, just gotten this job. And I'm in the middle of the shift and the Christmas music is going. And they're singing these, these incredible songs like angels, talking about angels, hark the herald, angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And I'm hearing these songs sung about, you know, like all of this rich theological truth, which, if I'm honest, had never really, I'd heard these songs hundreds of times, thousands of times before. And then out of nowhere, here I am, like almost in the middle of my shift, wanting to drop to my knees with this sense of God's presence and his glory and his greatness. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking, do these people not understand what is being sung right now in this moment. And it was really striking to me how, how you can have a room full of people and there can be this supernatural, phenomenal, amazing truth being communicated and it just going right over everybody's head. And I think about um, how in many ways the, the deeper message of Christmas is missed for so many people. And I think if we're not careful, even in our own lives, we can become a bit overfamiliar with some of these truths. But it's not unlike this situation we've got with Mary and Joseph walking into Jerusalem. You think about how this Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the one who had been, they'd been waiting on for a thousand years, longer than that, but it was a thousand years 
before this, when, when David had this covenant promise that one of his descendants would sit upon the throne of Israel, and here he is, Jesus, born, this Messiah, this descendant of David, and he's being carried into Jerusalem, and everyone is oblivious. No one recognizes it. It's, it's I mean, Mary and Joseph have an idea. They'd had some phenomenal experiences over the last week with angels visiting shepherds and wise men, magicians from another place coming and visiting. And, and, and yet even here's, even there, there, in seeming obscurity, here's Jesus born and just a few shepherds and wise men from somewhere else. And here's this baby being carried into Jerusalem and no one has a clue except for this one man, Simeon, who some people have said he's a priest, but we don't get that indication because there was this sense that he just felt called by God to go out to this place. He was a man who was very close to God, a very prophetic man. But seeing Mary and Joseph, Simeon grabs this baby and he just begins to praise God. And then he begins to prophesy about this baby that he is holding. And this prophecy is very different than what you might expect to be of one, uh, a prophecy of a, a Messiah who would come. You would think that this coming king would be one who would be accepted by everyone. You would think that he would come together and, uh, you know, he'd come and unite and bring together the whole nation. You'd think it would be a, pro a prophecy about how the nation would love him and embrace him. And much like David uh, slayed, or much like Saul slayed his, uh, his thousands and David tens of thousands and how the whole nation rallied around David and wanted to make him king, you would have thought that this prophecy would have been much like that. But Simeon prophesies basically the exact opposite, which is the very thing that had many people confused when Jesus lived his life. Because you got even his own cousin, John the Baptist, saying, Jesus, what's, you know, are you the one or not? Like, what's happening? What's going on? Are you the Messiah or not? Let's get on with things. Even his disciples thought that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom by force. Christmas is a wonderful time of year, of course, where we remember the, the beauty and, and majesty of Jesus and how amazing it is that God became near. He became God with us, that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And in that is, is expressed his love for us and his desire not to stay far away, but to come near. And so it's a time where we experience peace and joy and we give thanks and all of these things. But there's uh, another side of Christmas. At least there's this message behind Christmas that can be and should be much more confronting. That there's a, a, a battle and, and a, um, there's a warfare, there's a conflict that arises when Jesus shows up. And so in this passage we just looked at, we can see some, some of the implications of this Jesus coming, of his lordship. And the first one that we can see is that following Jesus will bring us to many forks in the road. Whoops, watch out for that. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. 
All of us have these moments in our lives where we reach a fork in the road. I remember the first fork in the road that I experienced. You know what I'm talking about? It's that moment when you clearly know Jesus is speaking to me and he's asking me to do something that I really don't want to do. Have you ever experienced that? And it's this moment where you have this, you're contemplating and it's like, okay, Jesus is clearly telling me to do this. I don't want to do that. I want to do this instead. And it's this fork in the road. And I remember having a moment like that. I had been a Christian for a week and a half. And I had just gone to this church, had this powerful encounter with God, and they invited me on the Wednesday night to a uh, Bible study on the university campus where I was at the University of Memphis. And they had this special speaker, this guest speaker there that night. His name was John. He was um, talking about uh, just telling some stories from his life. And I had just the day before, uh, maybe two days before, after that Sunday being at church, I felt that God was speaking to me about getting rid of all of my um, all of my music. Now, at the time, that was cassette tapes, all right? And I had all these, these bootleg recordings of all of these um, bands, and the, the whole subculture I was a part of, like we worshipped these bands, we worshipped essentially drugs and escaping from reality. And I tried to listen to this music again, and it was taking me back into this, the, the things that I felt before I was a Christian. And I felt like the, the Lord say, get rid of all of this music. One of these bands was called the Grateful Dead. And I was, um, it doesn't sound quite as bad as, uh, they're a little more somber than you would think. But anyway, um, it is actually pretty dark music, but, uh, but not in the way that you might think. Anyway, so we called the Grateful Dead, we called them the Dead for short. So I get rid of all of these, these bootleg cassette tapes. And these are one time where my pride and joy, right? We'd, we'd show off these, I have this bootleg and I have this bootleg. And it was like a, a cassette tape recording of a recording of a recording and it hissed a little bit, but it was, there was, there was a bit of idolatry there, you know? And so I, uh, I felt the Lord say to get rid of all of these. So I did, I threw them away. And so I'm at this, uh, I'm talking to my friend, Shelly, who is one of my best friends, we would go tour shows together and did all, you know, did things we shouldn't do together, like drugs and stuff. And then thought I had to clarify that. <laughs> and uh, man, this story's not going so well, is it? I need to take a drink of water after that. Thank God for Jesus. Anyway, I'm telling her for the first time, I'm on the phone with her, and she's like, hey, do you want to come over and get high? I'm like, no, I'm serving Jesus now. I became a Christian. She's like, what? What are you talking about? And so I'm telling her about this change in my life, and with complete and total disdain, she says, well, you're still listening to the dead, aren't you? And it was, it was going to be too hard to explain, you know, the whole thing of throwing them away and why I did. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm still listening to the dead. I just lied to her. It's easier to lie than tell the truth. At least in that moment, it was. So I go to this, this uh, meeting on the campus on the Wednesday. And 
this guy's speaking and he's telling this story about being at work and he goes into the copier room at work and he's having a conversation with this girl at work and she asks him a question and he, he says that he lied to her because it was just easier to tell a lie and, and it, was, it would have been uncomfortable to tell the truth. So I don't remember what it was, but he just lied to her. And he walks out of the copier room at work and Jesus says to him, says, John, you just lied to that woman. And he's like, yeah, but it, you know, it was, you know, it was just a little lie. And Jesus said, well, you need to go back and tell her the truth. Go back and tell her you lied to her. And so in that moment, I mean, think about how hard it is, right, to go back and tell somebody, particularly a, a coworker, I've just, hey, I know when I say I just lied to you, I'm sorry. Like, how awkward and how weird is that, you know? And we're all kind of cringing for him a little bit. And, you know, so anyway, as he's telling this story, Jesus says, you lied to Shelly yesterday. And I'm like, no, no, you cannot ask me to do that. You cannot ask. So anyway, fork in the road moment, man. Like I was laboring over this. Like it was the most grueling thing literally for a day and a half. The Holy Spirit, the only thing he's telling me is you need to go back to her and tell her that you lied to her. That was all he was saying. I couldn't hear anything else from him. I tried to shut it out. I tried to get him to stop saying it. And he just keeps coming back to the very same thing. And it was this realization of in this moment, recognizing that I have an option here. I can either go back and tell her that I just lied to her, or I can just completely stop following Jesus. Because this is a fork in the road moment. Like, is he my Lord or not? Did I really commit to serve Jesus or not? Am I going to obey him? Or am I just going to be like, you know what, Jesus, just forget about this. And so the pain of the thought of not serving Jesus became greater in my mind than the pain of going back to her and saying that I lied. So I call her on the phone and, and it was every bit as cringe and awkward as you might imagine it would have been. And she just responds. And it was like this, you could hear the disdain on Like, she was, what is wrong with you? Like, what has happened? You're weird now. Like, Sometimes following Jesus means we got to look weird to our friends in obedience to him. But we all have these fork in the road moments where we've got to make a choice. Am I going to obey Jesus in this thing that's very difficult? Or am I just going to just be like, you know what, Jesus, never mind. I'm just not going to follow you anymore. We find Jesus doing this very often, really bringing people to this confronting question of, am I your Lord or not? And when we understand Jesus as our Lord, we cannot do anything but give him our all. Like when we have this revelation, we were singing about it today of eyes of flaming fire. You know, he, like he is the Lord. He's, a, he, he's seated upon the throne. He has this right to expect our obedience. When we have that revelation, how can we not obey him? I remember sitting with... Um, I was a young campus, university campus minister, and I was at a university campus near Nashville, and I was meeting with the, all these gridiron football players, and a lot of these guys would have grown up kind of in a Christian environment, maybe didn't really um, passionately serve God, but they, they felt like they needed to at least come to the Bible study, you know, like God will, uh, I'll, I'll get some points with God coming to the Bible study. So anyway, they come, they're there, 
And uh, there's maybe 12, 14 of these football players there, big guys, you know, and I'm preaching to them about the Lordship of Jesus. And I said, okay, I want you to get out a piece of paper and I want you to write down two things for me. Number one, who do you say that Jesus is? Just write down who is Jesus, whatever, write your answer down there. And then I said, all right, second thing I want you to do is on a scale of one to 10, rate your level of commitment and devotion to this person, Jesus. 10 being he is, he, he, he is uh, the most important person in your life. One is you don't really care anything about him. So they write that down. And I had them hand that back in. And so I'm reading back through them. And I read through first who they said that Jesus is. Son of God, Savior, Savior, Son of God, Savior, Lord, Savior, Son of God, Son of God, Savior. Only one person said he was Lord. Then I read back through the uh, level of commitment that they gave him. Three, four, six, four, six, ten, six, three, four. And I said, isn't it interesting the correlation we have here between our level of devotion to this person, Jesus, and what we call him, who we understand him to be. Many people are quite happy to look to Jesus as our savior, as the, the son of God, because these are this, the, the implications are very man-centered of that, right? Jesus as savior, it's all about me. He came and died for me and for my sin. And he did because he loves me. He loves you. But there are different implications to acknowledging the lordship of Jesus. When Jesus is Lord, he expects everything. And to recognize him as Lord, how can we not but say, Jesus, you get a 10 out of 10. Whatever you tell me to do, no matter how costly, no matter what it looks like, I have no choice because you are my Lord. He brings us to these fork in the road moments. The second implication here we can see is that Jesus will be loved by some and hated by others. Some rise, some fall, as we saw in the last passage. Then it says he has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. In Jesus, we see this man who in one sense is and was in the flesh overwhelmingly attractive in the way that he lived, in the way that he pre presented himself. There was something very attractive, very magnetic about him, but at the same time, there was something about even his, especially his message that was overwhelmingly repulsive. And so you've got this overwhelmingly repulsive part of Jesus and this overwhelmingly attractive part of him. He was attractive in that he was humble and, and compassionate. He was very tender. He spoke with immense wisdom. He, he, there were these moments when people were like, man, this guy, he speaks with authority, not like all the other religious teachers. This man, Jesus, speaks with authority. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. There was something very attractive about that. But then he, there was this message that he preached, which was very repulsive, when he would say things that were very exclusive, like whether you go to heaven or hell depends completely upon whether or not you believe in me. If you believe in me, 
you trust in me, you'll have eternal life with God. If you don't, you will not. He would say things like, nobody comes to the Father except through me. He had the audacity to say to the rich young ruler that if you want to follow me and be my disciple and you want to have eternal life, by the way, those two are the very same thing, you got to go sell all of your possessions. That's very repulsive. He would say things that even repulsed his own followers. When he would say things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless you do that, you have no part with me. And it says that many didn't, many turned away from following him at that point. And so here he, here he is as, as this very humble, tender, generous, powerful person, but has these claims about himself that require absolute adoration and devotion and dependence upon him that goes against this other part of us that wants to rule the self. And so he would say things like, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Which is one of the most shocking things that Jesus has said, this one of who's the Prince of Peace is actually going to come with a message that's going to be so challenging and confronting and require so much that it will even divide families, at least for a time. When the gospel comes into a person's life, it's going to mean that the people who used to like me may not like me anymore. And part of the counting the cost for me is in, in the lead up to becoming a Christian was this, was weighing up this challenge of what are all my friends going to think about me? How are they going to relate to me? Am I willing to lose these relationships if it comes to that for Jesus and for the gospel? It's this understanding of how the world is essentially divided by this message. He's sent as a sign from God. Some are going to embrace it, but many will oppose him. This, this message is so confronting that it will divide the world into two different types of people. All of humanity is either born again or dead in sin. All of humanity, when we walk down the street, I've, I've pondered this sometimes. I look at crowds of people, and I just wonder how many of those people are born again and how many are right now destined for eternal separation apart from God? How many are dead in their sin right now? And it's a good thing to ponder and think about because it begins to bring this sense of urgency and recognition that there's a mission that God has called me to live. There's, there's something, there's a message that I have, and, and, I, and, I, and we, we got to be intentional about this, which is the definition of love, right? To, to try to steer people away from this path of destruction. I've talked about before about the, 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 the video that Penn Gillette, you know, uh, Penn and Teller, who this magic act in the US, illusionists, I don't know if you've seen them, they got this big act in Vegas. And Penn Gillette is, he's a comedian, magician, and he has this video where he's talking about how this guy came up to him after one of his events and gave him this little Bible. And he's talking about how good of a man this was and uh, this, this guy was and you know, just how, how kind he was and, 
And Penn Jillette is an, an overt, outspoken atheist. And he said, he said, now this guy's kindness is not going to change what I believe. I know that there's not a God, he said. He said, but I've never been one of those people that has said that Christians shouldn't proselytize. Because if you really believe that someone is destined for hell, how much do you have to hate someone not to warn them of that? And so it was such a confronting such a confronting video because here's this man who's an atheist saying that if Christians are going to live in a line and in, in integrity with what they believe, they should be the most outspoken people if they really are truly loving people. And so this message is dividing. It brings some people to this side of, I give everything to Jesus and other people to this side of being repelled by him. And many people don't want to believe this about Jesus, this confronting nature of who he is. They try to find intellectual ways to make Jesus more palatable, speaking of how he was a good teacher who lived a great life and and really just came to show us what our human potential is. Look at Jesus. We can all be like him. We can all be a good person like him. This is sort of the Oprah Winfrey version of Jesus. He'll make you a better person. Just read his stories. But that's not what Jesus taught. He said, no one comes to the Father but through me. And so this is a challenging question for us to ask. Does our understanding of Jesus Does it polarize? Do we have an understanding of Jesus that is exalted enough that some will oppose him? If not, I'm afraid that this Jesus that we might have constructed in our mind could be more of a figment of our imagination, an idol or a fantasy. Let's not be afraid of this confronting nature of Jesus is. I've had moments of just speaking of his authority to people and, and, and just seeing conviction come upon them. This revelation that Jesus has the right to expect my complete obedience. I haven't been giving him that. And that conviction in the heart coming. Which brings us to the third implication of the Lordship of Jesus is that the gospel, this message that Jesus came to proclaim seeks to change us from the inside out. Simeon prophesied that the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. One of the most wonderful and the most challenging things about following Jesus is that he's not just okay with outward forms of righteousness and obedience. He wants an internal change. He's more concerned about our character than he is concerned about our reputation. Our character is who we really are when nobody else is around. Our reputation is who people think we are. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day when Jesus was walking the earth, they cared a whole lot about reputation. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. 
But Jesus would say things that, that no, no, you've heard it was said this, but I say to you, and then bring it to the heart level. That murder wasn't just taking the life of someone else, but that murder can be in the heart in the form of anger and bitterness. And that adultery and sexual immorality isn't just uh, something that can be practiced uh, as an action, but it's actually uh, something that can be in the heart. When he said, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in the heart. Because Jesus wants the heart change. He wants the gospel to penetrate deep into the heart. And so how does that happen? That happens through repentance. When the word of God comes, it, it comes like a sword that pierces to the very soul. And I think in some ways, Jesus was talking to Mary about how, this, how, how Jesus' life would end on a cross before his resurrection. But there's also here a connection to what we can see even in Acts chapter 2 when Peter's preaching and in this moment, this conviction comes upon all who had crucified Jesus, says they were cut to the heart. Have you ever felt that conviction of the Holy Spirit that just cut you to the heart? It's like, man, Jesus just spoke to me about something, and I know that he's calling me to repent. And sometimes we can be afraid of this word repent. But it just simply means a change of mind that is so transforming that it reorients our entire reorients our entire life around pleasing this person Jesus it happened to Paul on the road to Damascus when he is the most overt hater and persecutor of the church he had a way of thinking that led him down a path to say that these people are the enemies of God and they need to be destroyed. And in a moment in time, this revelation of Jesus comes, he speaks, there's a repentance, a change of mind, a change of thinking that causes him to reorient his entire life around serving this person, Jesus. And so when we feel that weight of God's presence, God leads us through these, these moments in our life over and over, and this is the journey of becoming more like Christ, is, is repentance and walking in the good of that, and then repentance. It's not just something that happens at the beginning of a journey of following Jesus. It's something that happens again and again and again. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. 
I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life. And I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.